I've had students when they've been on a campus visit and they say, it just didn't feel right. And I say, yes, you have to pay attention to that. That's not a, that's not something to ignore. Hey there, my name is Lily and you're listening to Mindful Admissions, a podcast by Strive to Learn. On this episode, you'll be hearing the voices of Josephine Borman, Strive to Learn founder and educational consultant, as well as Christina Dooley, founder of Estrella Consulting, certified educational planner, and president of the IECA. Christine is a longtime friend of Strive to Learn and endlessly qualified to talk about all things college counseling, but we'd be just as happy to chat with her about the weather. She's just such a pleasure to have on the show. What they'll be discussing today is mindfulness in college admissions. Of course, because this is our flagship episode, we've got to start strong with a topic that every Strive family member is passionate about. You may have heard of mindfulness in your everyday life, or maybe even have practiced it through meditation, breathing exercises, etc. When I first started college counseling at Strive to Learn, I had no ability to understand what mindfulness could do for a college applicant. I'm naturally a very anxious person, so much of my mindset heading into my junior year of high school was sort of, okay, from here until the first day of college, I'm just going to buckle down and clench my teeth to get this massive amount of work done. It doesn't matter how I feel, I just have to get all of this done. Technically, I guess that might have worked, but that attitude is often what leads students to burn out or make hasty decisions or really just follow a path that they're not, at their core, sure of. Josephine helped me identify mindfulness in my own college process, which is why I'm so excited for you all to hear her talk about it today. All right, I think that about covers it for me. Let's go to Christina and Josephine. Most teenagers haven't really, unless they've taken like a yoga class or they've done some kind of, some kind of training and mindfulness, they really, I think are so future focused that mindfulness doesn't even come into the picture. And I, I love that we're having this conversation because I do think it's something that we should be talking to our students about and how they can real, how we can help them go through this process. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's so easy to say, right? Oh, just be present in the moment. (laughs) Um, I know I'm not always present in the moment. Sometimes I have a million things on my mind. Um, So, so I think one of the things that, you know, has stood out to me in my research on mindfulness has also been to be non-judgmental. So when you find yourself not being present in the moment and kind of spiraling, you know, thinking, oh man, like, what do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do the next day? What about this? And you're, you know, building up the stress and anxiety in your head, really kind of drawing yourself back by becoming conscious of what you're doing in the present moment and drawing yourself back in a deliberate way. So not judging yourself is a really big part of mindfulness, I think. Not judging yourself or your experience that you're having in the present moment, but just noticing your feelings or noticing your anxiety or noticing your gratitude or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be negative, right? And being curious about those feelings, about that experience in the moment, instead of feeling like we need to label and and judge them straight away, right? Um, So so I guess, like, how do you think... um, students can try to become more mindful in their process, especially when we're thinking of students who are juniors or seniors in high school. And also this is kind of a double barreled question, but I I wanna put them together. Um, What do you think really holds them back from being able to be more mindful in the moment? I think I'm gonna start with the second part of that actually with the what's holding them back. I think because this process, going through the college search process, the application process, 
is so, again, future focused, so looking at outcomes, it's really challenging to look at the here and now, you know, and to focus on what's going on in that moment and also to not be overwhelmed by that, you know, by whatever's happening. And so I think because every step of the process is focused on that outcomes piece, it's almost like it's a, it's, it's an immediate stop to even be aware and to, to recognize things like you mentioned, like the anxiety, the stress building up, figuring out what can I do to maybe combat that, whether that's again, doing something like yoga, reading, just, you know, being, just being. Um, and so I think, I think that that's one of the, the biggest things that, that is a challenge for students in terms of the mindfulness piece is that everything we say about the college application process has to do with the end, the end goal. And so even thinking about things like going on a campus visit, you know, the, the, when you're on a campus and you're walking around in, you know, maybe normal times, more normal times than now, um, being in the moment and paying attention to things in a different way versus just thinking, Oh, I like that residence hall. I, you know, that's a really nice one. I, I hope I get to live in that one. And instead paying attention to the things like even flyers on the bulletin board, you know, or like the stuff right now, the smell in the, you know, in the residence hall that sometimes it's not great, you know, but, but I think, you know, paying attention to some of those things in the moment, paying attention to the students walking by, you know, are they, how are they interacting with one another? Um, are you noticing things like even the landscaping, you know, like I think all of that stuff, sometimes students overlook it because they're really thinking ahead to, what's it going to be like when I'm here? And can I picture myself here? Uh, and that's, we tell students, kid, you know, when you're visiting campus, see if you can picture yourself there. Well, um, you know, it's, it's easy for them to, again, jump ahead in their mind. I know I, I'm not really answering your, your original question, Josephine. I'm just thinking about, again, like that being in the moment piece and, you know, thinking about body, you know, your body's reactions to situations. I've had students when they've been on a campus visit and they say, it just didn't feel right. And I say, yes, you have to pay attention to that. That's not a, that's not something to ignore. You, you know, you, when people say you have a gut feeling about that's, that's legitimate, you know? And so I do tell students, you know, when you're on a campus visit, if it, there's something just not sitting right with you that you have to pay it, that's a piece of mindfulness, you know, I'm in my opinion. So what do you think? And what do you, I mean, what are your feelings about all of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I 100% agree. Um, I like that you, you pointed out that sometimes something just doesn't feel right in your gut. And I think it's so important to tune into that because a lot of my students come in and they tell me exactly that, you know, um, and, but they're all apologetic. They're like, um, I don't, I didn't write down any notes. Like, I don't, I'm like, what are your, you know, could also be because I might ask them about their pros and cons in case they have some, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So they're like, I don't have a real reason. That's what they say often. I'm like, but tell me why you're not feeling it. And then they say, just didn't feel right. I'm like, that's a real reason. I mean, you're going to move somewhere for four years, hopefully. Um, that's the place you'll be. And you're going to live there. You're going to, you're not just going to study there. You're going to become an adult there. You're going to live there. You're going to make friends there. You're going to have a social life there. You have to be excited about the way the place feels. Um, and so I do think that you're making a really good point how mindfulness really taps into that about how do you feel in your body about a certain decision and about a certain choice and sitting with that. 
and not make, not judging yourself Mm -hmm. for feeling a certain way or for maybe not having the words to describe why you feel that way. Um, but actually tuning into it. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so I agree. Um, I also think that one of the things that, uh, kind of to, to bring up an answer to my own question, I guess, (laughs) um, one of the things that really, I think makes it hard for students to be in the moment it's not always other people. It's oftentimes themselves. I mean, I, I work in Southern California. We have a really high pressure environment here. Um, my students, when they're not enrolled in at least two or three APs, are like, should I be taking more APs? Right? And it's like, well, you know what AP stands for? Um, advanced placement. It's not the you know, their college level courses for someone who really wants to challenge themselves. But in this, at least in, in my field here, um, in this geographic area, it's become the norm. Like, oh, I have to have to be in these APs. Yeah. And so I think there's just so much pressure that students put on themselves because they're looking at what everyone else is doing around them. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, finding that space to sit with yourself and just tune in with yourself, not with your parents, not with your friends, not with who you think you should be or how you think you compare to others, but just sitting with yourself and kind of exploring what, what feels good, what feels right. And I think it's so hard to separate that because yep. you do want to do what everyone else is doing and you do want to, you know, be at the, at the top there with your friends or, or however you define that. But I, I think that what we're doing is defining success a little bit skewed. So success now means a high GPA, high test score, um, knowing what, ma- what you want to major in, even though you're only a junior, um, you know, writing that perfect college essay, all of these things. But really what I have seen in my students who successfully went to college, graduated and went on to a quote unquote successful career um, is that those were the students who took the time to explore their passions. And if they didn't have passions, who took the time to figure out what they might be passionate. Um, Instead of trying to check all of these things off the list that they thought they needed to do because everyone else is doing them. And I think that's, you know, really big part of what creates stress and anxiety for students is thinking about what they should be doing or what they think they should be doing instead of just focusing on, hey, what would I want to do? What am I passionate about? And how do I deepen my involvement in that? Right. Well, I think, and it's, I I forget where I heard this recently, but someone had referred to, you know, the college search process for kids should be a lot like, almost like the Marie Kondo, um, what sparks joy, you know, what, and throwing all the college stuff in a pile and you, you take out the stuff, you know, so the characteristics of something that's going to bring, you know, whether it's a a campus amenity, that's going to bring you joy or working with a certain faculty member is going to bring you joy. The location might bring you joy, you know, and thinking about it that way versus, I'm going to pull out all the ones where I think the perception would be that this is a, this is the best choice, you know, and, and I, you know, you have to ask yourself sometimes, like when I, when I work with students and you said this earlier about asking the why about things, it's like, you know, I have, I have kids and when they keep asking, well, why, why, why? And we say, stop asking why? Well, now that they're teenagers, I want them to, you know, when these kids are teenagers, I want them to ask why I want them to revert back to their three-year-old selves ask why about everything. Um, and you know, why am I thinking that? Why do I, why do I feel like this is a good fit for me? Um, 
why am I drawn to that major? Why am I drawn to that region of the country? Why am I drawn to that size of a school? Um, why am I drawn to uh, the opportunity to join Greek life? Why? Is it because someone told me that's what I should be doing? Or that's, again, to your point, that's, you know, the, the perception of success comes from doing those things or being in one of those things. So um, I think, you know, I think asking the, themselves the why and the answer has to be about them, not because so-and-so, you know, said that or because my, you know, my older sibling did that or, you know, whatever it is. I think that, again, I it, it sounds so corny, you know, to say like, does it bring you joy, you know, but, you know, if that's, again, like thinking of things like campus amenities or the opportunity to study abroad in a certain place or whatever. Um, I think that that's, yeah, I think, but yeah, I think it's, again, I'm going to regret saying to you, go revert back and start asking why, because I stopped asking why so much, but it's important. So, yeah. I love that. I love that you're um, saying the students should ask why, because that's probably the question I ask my students the most. And they're always like, oh, again, <laughs> so hard, you know, and that's why I, I always encourage them. Like, you do know why I'm asking you why it's because I want you to ask yourself why. And I think, you know, you make an important point and I love your parallel that you're drawing to um, Marie Kondoing it. Um, I know that you yourself have a lot of experience with that um, little anecdote about Christina here, her husband, has over 100 pairs of socks. Um, so he has some trouble Marie Kondoing while she only has about 10. So this is how you know your college counselor really knows what they're doing when it's about fit. Uh, <laughs> uh, how many yeah. are they right now? You know, we might need to do a recount. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a, quite a, few pairs of socks there unnecessary. And I, I would argue that they probably don't all bring him joy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. But he can probably, you know, make a pro con list for all of them. <laughs> be able to, I mean, and it's, you know, I mean, like if you draw a parallel, it'd be like a kid, you know, putting together their list of schools, you know, and I, a lot of times I'll say to students, even though the common application allows you to put 20 colleges on there, you don't have to. So, you know, even though the drawer might fit a hundred pairs of socks, you don't have to fill it. Um, but, you know, and, and, and thinking back, you know, looking at that list of schools, you know, what is it about those schools um, that is, it, you know, in this moment, is you can actually say this would be a place where I'd want to be, um, you know, and I tell students all the time, I mean, this is just kind of a sidebar, but one of those schools, if it's not going to be a school that you're going to be really excited about being part of that community, there's another student out there that that is their top choice school. So, you know, when you think from that perspective that there's students applying to schools that um, they don't really, you know, they're not, they're not all that thrilled about, but other students are. So leave it for those students that are, you know, cause you'd want other people to do that. So again, that's just a, a sidebar, but yeah. So do the list, do the schools on your list, bring you joy, you know, is it so, and I can't take credit. I, I wish I could, I wish I had the attribution of where I first heard that Marie kind of thing, but I like it. I like, I like the parallel there. Um, I think one of the things that students, you know, have trouble with when, when they would be contemplating this kind of question is some students don't really know what will bring them joy um, in the future because they don't really know what to expect, right, in the college landscape, because everything just seems a little overwhelming because it's so new, um, you know, you're throwing out these words like liberal arts college versus research university, you're asking, you want a bigger, small campus or lecture hall, and 
they don't really have a point of comparison, especially during COVID, um, you know, all the college visits have been virtual. Um, so I guess, you know, how can students learn how to tune in better or explore what would they actually like, what would bring them joy in their future so that they can, you know, actually have a set list of criteria um, instead of, you know, listening to, oh, wow, I heard this college is really good for business. You should go there. Or I heard this, or I heard that, um, or just, you know, trying to just kind of laying back on the prestige factor of a name without actually understanding what opportunities the college has. So how can students become more mindful in their process of actually figuring out their college criteria? You're right. When you say that this is such a tough time to do some of that because of the lack of, or, or the, the absence of what we'd say would be traditional visit opportunities, you know, and the opportunity to even do things like an overnight on campus, you know, where it's just a lot of students would maybe do that in the past. I think when they're thinking of exploring the academic opportunities at a school, I think a lot of it is even looking at outcomes, looking at, you know, I mentioned earlier study abroad, you know, what, what are the opportunities and then listening, being mindful of your body's reaction when you learn about something like that, do, do you, does that excite you? You know, do you get, uh, you know, by seeing, oh my gosh, they have a trip to Bhutan. Whoa. You know, that's amazing. Um, or looking at research as if it's somebody who's thinking of doing something in a STEM uh, field, you know, looking at research that's being done and thinking, gosh, I'd love I would love to be on that project if that, and that's being mindful of like your reaction to, to those opportunities. If you look through the list of courses that are offered and you're like, yeah, those look okay. You know, this, I can get, you know, I, it's fine. Um, then I think that's not, you know, it, it's being mindful of the fact that maybe that's not going to again, bring you joy. Um, I think some, I've had students this year, especially where they've had interactions with current students on a campus via zoom, you know, they'll do like a student meetup or a student panel of some sort. And I've had a couple who have walked away from those and, and said, Christina, that totally changed my mind about like, I'm much more excited about the opportunities there because again, whatever they heard, and maybe it's even just the engagement piece of that with that student or students that they, in that moment, they could, they could see a connection. They could feel a connection uh, or same thing with the faculty members. Sometimes the colleges offer things like a one-on-one or a group chat with the faculty. So, you know, folks listening, take advantage of those things or find out if those are offered because a lot of colleges are doing things now that they never did before. But so hopefully those are things that will stay. But I think just in terms of exploring majors, um, you know, that's one of the things that's, that I think we, we run into so much, Josephine, is that students choose their academic area of study based on what a lot of other people have told them they should do, or they've done well in, you know, math-based classes. So then all of a sudden you're an accountant or an engineer, you know, it's like, well, you know, maybe I would rather do something else, you know? So a lot of students don't even know, they don't even think of, that there's an option to explore majors. And I tell students, instead of trying to get a summer internship when you're in high school, what about just finding some people who are working in the fields that you're thinking of and even just having a quick chat with them, like over Zoom, you know, and, and hearing about what does their typical day look like? What a, and again, if you feel excited about when you hear that, that's my, like that, I, I think that's part of the mindfulness piece. If you feel you know, like I, my, my kids love the emoji movie. If you feel like meh, like, eh, you know, like that was all right. You know, I could, I guess I could do that. 
move on. Don't, who wants to do something for the rest of their life that they feel meh about? Nobody, you know, but how many people do we know that are doing that? Lots. So I think, you know, there's an opportunity to explore things early on uh, and not feel like you have to even commit because maybe you do find an internship when you're in college and, and you love it. You know, you explore, um, you know, whatever that area is and, and it brings you that joy. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's so interesting too um, that, you know, like you said, sometimes you get pigeonholed into something early on because of, um, you know, being good at something. Um, and so then you don't even know about those, those options. And I think the, the other thing is that you sometimes feel like you should be pigeonholing yourself. Like people start asking you, so what are you going to major in? Right? Like second half of junior year. Um, and then definitely in senior year. So what, what, what will you major in? And, you know, 50% of students are like, I guess business. Cause I heard that makes money. Um, and so I think, um, you know, if you have a huge passion, that's great, right? Go for it. Definitely make sure that's one of your college criteria that they have a really great multifaceted program and lots of opportunities within that. But if you, I like how you said, if you feel meh about what you think you should be doing and you realize you're kind of just doing it because you can't think of anything else that's better, that's okay. I mean, college is there to explore. So then, you know, making sure that you have colleges on your list that will allow you that exploration. A lot of colleges don't even allow you to declare a major until sophomore year because they want you to really take a look at that. And that's, um, I think, for example, the college that you went to is one of the colleges that changed life, changes lives, right? So that's a great list to Google, by the way, for any of our listeners. Uh, colleges that change lives, um, and so it's a list of over 20 colleges that are all small liberal arts colleges um, that have really, really tremendous opportunities for exploration, provide a really great um, broad foundation of your education, and then still allow you to really specialize in your field. Um, and, you know, this is the type of college I think that um, a lot of students don't know that much about, definitely in our region, um, in our region, a lot of kids know about the Cal States, the UCs, um, USC. Those are kind of the, the, the big ones around here that people talk about, as well as some of the privates, like I already mentioned USC or LMU or Chapman in this area. Um, you know, but what about the smaller liberal arts colleges? What about those colleges that change lives? I wasn't even planning on talking about that today, but since we're talking about joy and exploration and it being okay to not have your entire future planned out, um, can you give us a little insight into what that was like for you and what that enabled you to do? Yeah, that's, and I, I'm clearly a big fan of the colleges that change lives. I think there's, um, so my experience when I went to college, I had intended to major in biology, biological sciences. And the reason why, well, I did AP bio and did pretty well. You know, I mean, it was, it was one of those had been around um, family that worked in the medical field. You know, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. And, and the school that I went to Hiram college here in Ohio, uh, they had a strong biology program that it was one of their and strong um, pre uh, pre-health, you know, preparation kind of track. And 
my first semester, uh, it was almost serendipitous. I, I didn't get into a, a biology class. Uh, it was full. And so I couldn't take that, that class, which was kind of a stepping stone for some of the other classes. So instead I took a class in communications and I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the professor. Um, and fun fact, that professor, I ended up living in her house after I graduated from college. She went to teach in Beijing and asked if I uh, could house it for her for a year. And I thought, oh gosh, rent-free for a year <laughs> in a big farmhouse. Sure. But, but actually that's indicative of the kind of relationships I had with my faculty members in college, um, to be honest. But, but um, I did take a biology class. I did take some science classes uh, at Hiram, but I ended up taking another class just to fulfill an elective uh, a distribution requirement in sociology. I took a sociology class. Again, I I could not wait to get to that class. I loved everything about it. I had never taken a sociology class or a communication class at the high school level. It's not, it wasn't something ever offered in my high school. And so I didn't know that those things existed. And I also didn't know, I made the assumption that if you study sociology, you go on to become a social worker. And that's actually really far from, from the truth. I mean, a lot of people do, but that's not typically what people will do with that. It was a study of people and you know, not, it's not surprising I do what I do now because I love learning about cultures and backgrounds and, and all of that. And so um, for me, I was encouraged in that college setting, that particular environment to explore things. I studied abroad. Um, I was able to do a couple of internships uh, to see what I wanted to do. Uh, I had a great opportunity. I interned at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Cleveland an amazing museum. Um, and I got to work on some programming for them and doing some PR type stuff in their, their communication program. I loved it. I mean, I loved everything about it. And I, again, if you had asked me as a high school student, what I'd be doing, uh, four to six years afterwards, I probably would have said I'd be in med school, you know, man, I'm glad I didn't do that. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't have been happy. I would have been meh. I would have been probably just fine. I, I mean, I think I would have academically just been successful, but I also think success does success is not equate to happiness. And I think we all, we all know that. I don't know that a lot of people, um, would, would say that that's a driving force for them because success often equates also to monetary success, you know? And so, um, I think people, you, you said this earlier, what are the jobs that make a lot of money? You know, what do I want to do in that respect? Um, but I also think no matter what kind of job you, you end up looking for, I think there's so much value in interdisciplinary type education, you know, studying things in different studying. I, I I'm a big proponent of study abroad. I lived abroad. I think everyone should have some kind of coursework in global something. I know Josephine's background, you know, I mean, it's very global as well. I, I mean, I, I think that that, that's the kind of stuff that I think when students go into college, they're not thinking that broadly about all these little things that are really going to add together to make them a successful adult, you know, and a happy adult. And so I know that's, uh, you know, a sidebar from, from mindfulness, but I, I loved that my faculty members at the college I went to never, never, you know, to your point, I didn't declare a major till the end of sophomore year. Um, I'm glad I wasn't forced into having to make that decision when I was 18 and stepping foot on campus. Cause that would have been the wrong decision for me. 
Yeah. Man, I have so many follow-up questions. I just took like three notes. Um, <laughs> one thing I, I, I thought was interesting that you said at the end was that, you know, we're taking a step from, away from mindfulness in the way that you're answering it. But I actually feel like we're taking a step towards it because you're talking about the definition of success being something that may guide you down a path that does not bring you joy, right? And we're talking about um, becoming more mindful of what does bring you joy. So I think, you know, if we're talking about how can someone who's listening to this actually implement these ideas in their life um, in their lives is really thinking about what does success mean to me? Does it mean making money and stability, et cetera, regardless of being happy, or does it have a component of joy? And, you know, this also is kind of really important to redefine that and then check in, in the moment, am I making this choice? in accordance with my new definition of success, a definition that I do think will bring me joy down the road in one year, two years, in five years, in 10 years, right? Um, and for me, you, you mentioned that I'm also quite global. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, um, I, am born and I was born and raised in Germany, but then I lived for three years in Michigan when I was seven till I was 10. Uh, when I was 16, um, I went abroad and lived in Spain uh, during 11th grade. And then after I graduated um, in, from German high school, um, I lived in Argentina for seven months as well. And then after that, I decided to study abroad, which is what brought me to the US. So I ended up getting my undergraduate degree here. And then I did my graduate degree back in Germany. So kind of been all over the place. Um, uh, I've been in California for quite a while now. But I think, you know, one of the things that I always had from my culture that was ingrained in me from my culture that I think made my college and, and general educational journey very different from um, an American um, would be that there's a lot less focus on material gain, I would say, in Germany. Um, there's less of a difference between very rich and very poor. And a lot of people are just generally, you know, kind of um, comfortable, well-off middle class. Um, so I do think that the focus, there, there, there's less focus on like exploration, but I think there's also less focus on do something only for stability or only for money, because there's a little less uh, fear, I would say, around losing everything. Um, and so I was also really lucky. My parents um, encouraged me to pursue my passion, which was theater. And then they said, you know, but be realistic um, and just have a second major. And that's actually what brought me to the States. And that's one of the things about the education thing, uh, about the education uh, structure at university here in the US is that you can double major in something like theater and a science. And I didn't know that about you with the biology, but I really wanted to study biology. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, did some soul searching and probably Marie Kondo'd it before that was the thing. And I thought, you know, would I find joy in standing in a lab all day? Because as much as I love genetics, what would my real day look like? You know, like you said, talking to other professionals, figuring out what would you be doing on a daily basis once you actually enter that field? And I realized, you know, I just don't see myself injecting rats all day in, in a lab and not having that, that much human connection. Of course you have colleagues, but it's not the center of your focus throughout the day. So I decided to study psychology. This is maybe this is a tangent, but I did decide to study psychology and um, similar to you, 
I had to take a GE course, which, um, you know, in Germany, you only go to university for three years and you, you only study your major. There are no general education courses because you have an additional year of high school. So you've already done those. You already had, you know, several languages in school. You've had a high level of math. You've had all the sciences, et cetera. So most of that transferred in for me. So I only had to take about two GEs, but um, I was really pissed. I was like, oh, I love psychology. I love theater. Why am I sitting in this stupid class? It was anthropology I'm like what is what is anthropology like some dusty fossil crap I mean honestly I was just had a really bad attitude sitting in that class and I'm someone who actually likes to learn but I was just like you know I love my psych classes so much why am I here and I was outraged it only took about 10 minutes in the class for my jaw to literally drop and I just like looked around I was like this is a science this is a field of study. These are things I think about all the time. It was a cultural anthropology class. And having lived in different countries and um, being fluent in three languages has always made me realize and notice these things that are you know, totally normal in one culture. And then you get looked at like you're an absolute weirdo in another culture. And I've always navigated my life kind of finding that balance between not, not changing who I am, but still, you know, making sure to be respectful of the norms in each culture and trying to fit in in that way so that I'm not a weirdo in all of them. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, college is a time to explore. And I think the way this wraps back to mindfulness um, while you're in high school, as you're looking at your college search process is that there are so many opportunities and experiences that you're going to have that will show you things about the world that you never knew. Mm-hmm. Even if you're working with, uh, you know, an independent counselor or something like that, you are going to go off to college in the first two months, you're going to learn more than you learned in the last two years. Um, it's, you know, this real opportunity for growth and it's exciting. And it also just shows that there are a lot of open doors and open windows. And I think, for me, kind of the way I try to have my students visualize the idea of how can I be mindful is seeing my role as someone who shows them, here's a door, here's another one, here's a window, right? And opening all of them and really talking about these opportunities, but also telling them, you know, there's a bunch of doors and windows that are here that we don't see yet that you might decide to go through once you discover them. And it's okay to ponder this for a little while. And it's okay to explore a little bit. And For me, one of the biggest ways that I structured what I did, because I did change my major from theater to anthropology, um, and then went on to get my master's degree in anthropology as well. Of course, my parents at this point, you know, I'm getting my master's, supposed to be an adult. Um, They're like, so what are you going to do with anthropology? And I was like, honestly, I don't have the answer. But thinking about it in the Marie Kondo um, analogy, this is what really brings me joy. This is something that I will stay up 20 hours working on and it's not a problem. This is something I don't have to force myself to do. This is something that I find myself doing with joy. And no, I don't know exactly where it'll lead. And you know, the weirdest thing is here I am. Uh, I founded an educational company. I always said, I will never study business. I will never study education. And now I have a business in education and I love it. 
because it combines everything that I've done previously. It combines psychology, cognition, um, learning styles, it com- motivation, desires, helping students or also helping my team um, through that. It combines my creativity and love for filmmaking, which was part of my anthropology degree, because I get to really think about, you know, creating things like this, like creating a podcast, creating a webinar, um, doing some photography for the business. So I got asked this question so many times. That's why I'm bringing this up. I'm sure that, you know, all of the students who are listening have been pressure asked (laughs) to know what they want to do. And, you know, I'm still figuring out what I want to do, even though I am a 33 year old adult (laughs) here, you know? Um, And I think, you know, that's where really where it comes to looking at what experiences allow you to grow and allow you to grow joyfully and with passion because Mm -hmm. that growth will lead you to places that you can't imagine yet. And it's really stressful to try and imagine them. And it's, you know, really uh, detrimental to your mental health to judge yourself for not being able to imagine them because that's also, you know, that should be the excitement of life. You don't Mm -hmm. need to know what you do need to do is tune in with yourself in the here and now and see what brings you that joy, what makes you feel good and, and getting, you know, in tune with your senses. And then following that, I think that's how I've seen the most students have success, um, success in the joy way <laughs> um, and career, because then it comes together, right? Um, I've had, we have graduate students as well. One last little tangent. And the graduate students that come in um, that ha- already have experience in a professional field that have a gap, uh, you know, have, have been working for three, four years after graduating with their bachelor's and now want to go back to school. I have to say 90% of those students are coming back and, you know, taking the GRE and, and, and creating their graduate school applications because they want to change their field because they realized I'm in a field where I'm doing something I'm good at and I'm making decent money and I'm comfortable, but I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not feeling joyous. Um, going to work is a bit of a chore. And so I've had students who came to Strive to Learn and said, um, you know, I'm finally going to apply to do my master's in social work because I've wanted to become a social worker since high school. This is a real student example. I'm not just saying it because you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, she was really, she was a very professional in in the marketing world, making, you know, six figures. And she said, you know, her parents always told her and her friends always told her, don't go to social work for X, Y, and Z reasons. And so she didn't. And now she was 26 and said, I'm going to do it because I still want to do it. So I think, you know, I've just learned a lot through my own journey, but also through seeing my students who did cave a bit more to those outside pressures and to what they thought they should be doing that in the end, it kind of comes around and you, you do want to take advantage of what you actually want to be doing. So even if you don't know the end goal or where it'll lead you, I do really encourage you to engage with your passions. And if you don't have any, you know, engage with the exploration of developing some. 
I have to, I have to give a plug for, for another podcast actually, um, that I think students actually would really love as well as their parents. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the, how I built this podcast with Guy Raz. Um, it's, he's an NPR hosting and he interviews people who've created things, entrepreneurs who've created, I mean, everything from Stacy's pita chips to the creator of Zumba. I mean, and hearing these people's stories of how they got to where they are. And again, how I built this, it's incredible because none of them are linear. None of them are direct paths from this is what I wanted to do. I went to college, I studied this, and now I'm doing this. They are stories that are so all over the place. Um, and in you know the stories often, this mindfulness piece, a lot of the the, the pivot happens when they become mindful about that, like about what that is that they really do love and what, why, you know, so their ideas come from sometimes out of, you know, the necessity, they think, oh, this, you know, I don't have this particular item or tool to make my life easier. I'm just going to create it. But others it's, you know, thinking I would love to spend my days, like, you know, going back to your point, maybe not in the science lab, but I like science. So maybe it's doing something different, you know, coming up with another way that I can still do that. Um, anyway, it's a really great pot. I totally recommend it for high school kids to listen to, and you can scroll through all of the episodes and find something, you know, whether it's five guys or, you know, I mean, literally spanks. I mean, you could find anything on there. Um, and you'd be surprised by the stories. Um, one thing I was going to mention along those lines too, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit, was about the importance of, of mentors and finding people to help encourage you, you know, through this journey. And I would say, you know, for example, I mentioned my professors, uh, my professor that I had as, um, in college who I still very close with, you know, decades later, um, I really look to people like that as those were people who mentored me not to, not to pursue a specific path, but to, ask myself those why questions, you know, and to think about like, I, I had never even considered studying abroad. I didn't have a passport. I'd never, I'd been from Ohio to Pennsylvania, you know, I mean, like I, I didn't have that travel bug when I went to college. Uh, but talking with faculty or staff members on campus who encouraged me to think about what the exciting things would be about studying abroad, what I could learn, especially because I was thinking of majoring in sociology, which I ended up doing. Uh, and I love the study of people. So it made a lot of sense for me to do that. But so thinking of finding mentors early on, whether it's in the high school time or when they go to college, I think it's, I tell students that all the time, particularly those who go to a larger institution and you're in the land of a lot of art, large institutions. And, and I have a couple here in my state. And I say, if you're going to go to the Ohio state university, it's a big place. You have to find people that can help guide you along the way and can, you know, can, you can ask questions of them. You can go to them when you're struggling with something, whether that's personal, academic, financial, um, but having those people that are mentors, there's been so much research been, that's been done 
about the impact of mentors on college students and their success rates. And a lot of, especially for example, first-generation college students going, um, I get to, I, one of my greatest joys is I am a mentor for an organization here in Cleveland called College Now Greater Cleveland. It's actually the oldest college access program in the country. And I've been able to mentor. I, uh, I've had three students, three young women that I've, I've served as their mentor while they've gone through college. And it's so rewarding for me to see them launch, you know, and maybe they're doing something totally different than when I met them as a high school senior and that's okay. You know, and, and a lot, and I've, at least one of them, I was, we had those conversations. Should you, you know, should you explore something that no one's going to expect that you're going to do? And we, you know, we asked those why questions, why are you thinking that? And why would you stay in this major program if it's not really sparking joy, making you happy, you know, and all those kinds of things. Um, and, and one of the things with mindfulness too, that I think is an important thing is that is curiosity, you know, is thinking like, okay, um, I'm in, in a college or in a university, are they allowing me to explore options that I'm curious about, you know, and your experience sounds like that too. You and I both, I think are the kind of people that if we could keep going to school, we would like forever, you know, like I'm going to, I will be eventually, um, to college at some point in time to get another degree. And because I know that's a hard thing, like you know, 18 year old me wouldn't have believed that I would have gone on, you know, and, and, and continued and wanted to go to school, but, but we're curious. And I think that's a part of mindfulness is being curious about things. And when you, you know, whether that's curious about things happening in the world, curious about um, history, curious about all kinds of stuff. And so I think um, again, when tying it into like a mentoring thing, I think asking questions, you know, and feeling comfortable with that, because that's one of the things that's really hard is for young adults to find somebody, find an adult figure or multiple people who they can trust and who isn't going to say yes, but all your A's and your, your AP science classes indicate that you really should pursue this path. Well, no, let's ask the questions about what makes you excited. What are you curious about learning? You know, what do you find yourself Googling? You know, like if you hear something, I mean, we're all, we're, you know, or asking Alexa, you know, like what, you know, what can I, what can I learn? So anyway, but those are just some of the things that I was just thinking about. Yeah. I love how you said, um, now you just want to keep learning, learning, learning. Um, and if you could be a student forever, that's what you do. Um, but you couldn't have imagined that when you were in high school. So I thought that was really interesting because that was also my, um, my experience. Um, I mean, I was definitely like pretty tired after high school. And I also didn't love school. Um, I loved some subjects, but like biology. But a lot, like half of my subject, that subject at least, I thought were kind of a drag. And I mean, I I did them, and I did them with with relatively decent grades. But that intrinsic curiosity wasn't really there for me in many subjects in high school. Um, and that really changed once I got to college, because in college, you can choose all these classes. So even, you know, even that those GEs that bugged me so much um, ended up really sparking this curiosity. And I think another thing that really helped me personally in my journey is that I did take a gap year. Um, I took a year off between um, finishing 
both the German high school diploma and the IB diploma, which is a pretty heavy workload for the last two years of high school. Um, and I was like, all right, I worked really hard. I'm going to take a year off. And I did. And for, you know, I worked for four months to save up money. And my parents also contributed a little bit. And then I went to Buenos Aires in Argentina and did an internship in a theater and also traveled all over the place and honestly, you know, hung out and partied a bit. So um, I had, I had my fun. <laughs> and then I was really excited to start college after that because I was no longer burnt out. And I have to say, when I look back at my schedule from back then, even though I did the two degrees at once and also did a lot of theater outside of that and, and followed other passions, I was still only half as busy as most of my students are. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it is, but the students that I work with they, they often stay up till 2 or 3 a.m. doing homework, and then they get up early at 6 a.m. to do some more homework, and they're so stressed out. And so I just really feel like that is so detrimental mm -hmm. to mental health, to mindfulness, to curiosity. It really deadens curiosity. A lot mm -hmm. of my students, you know, when I first get to know them, I ask them just to see um, I ask them if they like to read. I just, just out of curiosity. Um, and a lot of them say they look all guilty. And I'm like, so you used to like to read, but you haven't read in a long time because high school is really demanding. They're like, yep. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard. I think nowadays with all this, um, kind of societal pressure, at, at least in my geographic area, um, to, to actually follow curiosity for curiosity's sake. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of kids are doing things that they need to do um, that, or sorry, that they feel like they need to do or should do um, oftentimes to go to college. And then they're like, okay, now I'm going to race into college. And mm -hmm. when I bring up a gap year, even though it's kind of the norm and totally like more than half of the people do it in other countries. So outside of the U.S., it's totally normal to take a gap year um, and to do an internship or, or maybe to do some um, volunteering or, or, or something like that or learn, learn a language or solidify a language. Um, and, and here it's really seen as, oh, no, 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 um, no you, uh, you're going to go to college. You need to have a career. And I think that, um, you know, the value of developing intrinsic curiosity and the value of maturity through actual experience in the world um, and having that exploration is undervalued very much in this society because it's seen as a distraction from your goal. While really, and a lot of studies have shown this, the research really shows that students who take a gap year actually end up doing better. They have overarchingly higher GPAs in college. They have a higher um, rate of uh, graduation, a four-year graduation, et cetera. So the research really shows that it can be so beneficial to take that time to really re-engage with yourself, with your curiosity, with your passion, and take that time to explore and be more mindful about who you are and post high school who you want to be once your world is changing. Um, and it teaches you so many things and it really allows you to get a better understanding of what you might want to major in. So I, 
I always find that very interesting. It's almost, it almost feels like a taboo sometimes to bring it up. And it's my job as a college counselor to bring it up. This is one of the doors that I would like to show my students, but I have to say it gets shut down pretty quickly, oftentimes by parents. Um, So I guess this brings me to another question. What can parents, we talked about mentors, but what can parents do to help their kids be more mindful along this process and to help them de-stress a little bit? I think a major thing is to, to keep in mind that the, this journey is the, is the students. The parents are along for it. I mean, they're part of the journey, but the, only, oh, the ownership of it is, is the students. And so oftentimes parents, you know, I mean, I, and sometimes I don't know that they actually realize they're doing this. They're trying to live vicariously through their kids, you know, I mean, and that starts in high school, it starts in elementary school, you know, I mean, I, it, where, where we encourage kids to join clubs or sports or try out for this or perform in this play. And maybe that's not at all what the kid wants to do, but maybe that was the dream of mom or dad when they were younger, they never had the opportunity, you know, whether that was just, you know, availability or finances or whatever it is. And so I think, to support their child, I think, you know, asking that why questions, you know, about, you know, the list of schools, you know, why are these schools, why, why do you like these schools? So let's talk about that. You know, what are the things that you really like, or when they go on campus visits and, you know, the student says, um, I loved it there. Okay. You know, what were the things, what did you notice? You know, what did you pick up on? Um, not just, you know, again, that we, it's really easy to have, these kind of um, blinders on to some of the detail things when you're visiting a campus. And actually a lot of people will say that summer is a really bad time for families to visit college campuses because it's not, doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't because their students aren't there. I'd actually argue that sometimes summer is good because you notice the cracks in the foundation. You notice the beautiful landscaping. You notice, you know, some of the things that maybe you'd be distracted by with all of the people, you know? And so I think it's good to visit more than once if you can, you know, in different settings. I think that's a good thing. But I think parents, as opposed to as soon as this tour is done saying, oh my gosh, didn't you love this? which happens all the time. You know, we want parents want to inject like their opinion right away. So then, you know, Johnny thinks, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I did like that. Maybe hadn't even thought of that, you know, instead phrasing it, you know, what were some of the things that you picked up on, you know, during the tour or, uh, you know, when we were eating in the dining hall or whatever it was, or from the student panel, what did you, was there anything that stuck out that anybody said that, you know, resonated with you? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Could you see yourself being friends with any of those kids on the panel? You know, um, I think asking questions, just asking, asking lots of questions and be less, forthcoming with opinions at the onset. Um, I think students value their parents' opinions and they should, and the parents' opinions do matter. I should say that they they can't be disconnected from the process. They're very much a part of it. But uh, keeping in mind that again, the process is the kids, not, not yours. And so that's a hard, that's a really hard thing though. I mean, it's the same as if you go and you watch a movie, you know, with your significant other at the movie theater and you walk out like, oh, that was so good. Didn't you think that was good? And maybe they hated it, you know, or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, again, shifting the, 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 the line of questioning in a different way, I think is, is really, really important in that process. So yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. I think the, 
college application process is an opportunity for the parents to start that transition of seeing their children as young adults. Um, And I think that's a really hard shift. And I think a lot of parents um, think that going to college will create that shift, but that's a really hard thing sometimes because suddenly they're gone and then they come back, you know, four months later. And so really seeing those last two years together as, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to create a little more space to really hear what you think instead of, I mean, you know, the child pretty well, you were there all their lives and you love them, right? You want what's best for them, but allowing the, your child to really have that process of exploration, like you, like you said, Christina, even though you, you may also know, you know, what they're going to end up doing, having them explore that and come to that um, recognition themselves can be so valuable in this process, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that you, you know, talking, going back to what you said about um, the idea of the gap year real quickly, I'm 100% in agreement with you that I, I wish, and again, having lived in, lived abroad, it's amazing to me that the U S hasn't, hasn't adopted that kind of a culture of, of go of taking a year between. And in fact, more, I would say there, we have a lot of kids because there's a push for kids to start kindergarten earlier. You've got 16 year olds going to college. That's way too early. I mean, that's, that's young. My roommate in, in my first year of college was 16 when we started. That's, um, that's not, I mean, she was great, (laughs) but, um, but I think for, you know, in general, I think taking that gap year, but the problem with that is that it is this thought that it's delaying them going out into the real world, making money, you know, it's, it's delaying it basically. But, you know, as a parent, I think, gosh, I don't, I, I keep saying to my kids, you know, we have a sign on our wall. It says, don't grow up. It's a trap. You know, like it's true. Like don't put, why are we pushing kids to, to make choices that are, I mean, and there's, you know, studies about what, how the brain is not fully developed, you know, especially in males by that time, um, to make these choices that are sometimes lifelong choices and it's, they're not ready. They're just not ready to do that. So I think that's another thing as parents, if a, you know, even, if a student's even thinking about a gap or maybe it's not on their mind yet, maybe even just asking the question, have you ever thought about that? You know, and um, if, and, and encouraging it, you know, it's, I think that that's something certainly that parents can be doing. So. Yeah. And I think you, what you said about, you know, you're going to be an adult the rest of your life. Um, I also, you know, the gap year doesn't make you less of an adult kids attain a lot of maturity through it. And actually their educational journey is often shorter in total, including the gap year than if they hadn't taken it because there are less career shifts, less career changes because they've gotten to know themselves better before committing to one. Um, So, you know, it's kind of a, a myth or misconception that, that it's a detour or makes everything take longer before you make the real bucks because of, you know, the growth that you have in that year really defines what you're going to do in college and how you're going to speak up for yourself and find yourself opportunities in college because you've gained, you know, this confidence and maturity and have a better sense for how to work with people of all different walks of life and different cultures. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be so, so beneficial, um, and actually, you know, fast track, um, your development and where you're going. And so colleges don't, for the most part, I mean, colleges don't 
looked down on gap year. There are some that don't allow kids to take, you know, to defer for a year, but there are plenty of others. I mean, the greatest example would be Harvard in their acceptance letter. It says we are accepted. Now go take a year off. I mean, like not off, off, you know, not sitting around doing nothing, but, you know, go and do something meaningful and then come, come the next year. I mean, and that's been in their acceptance letter for as long as I've been working in this space. And so I think it's, it's something that's respected and not, not, not a, you know, it's an unusual decision for here for us in the United States, but I wish it wasn't, you know, I wish, so I wish it was more of the norm. So. Yeah. Well, this, this has been really great. I love how we um, meandered through mindfulness, mentorships, gap years, all these unplanned things. And um, that's what I always love about my conversations with you, Christina. I feel like we, we always dive in deep and, and just explore. Um, and it's, you know, so enriching. I think um, uh, for, for those of you listening, actually, Christina has been a great mentor to me. Um, so speaking of mentorships, this is the kind of stuff you get to do with your mentor. You get to explore your curiosity and really grow, um, you know, your own process through it. Um, so to bring this back on to, you know, what, what can I do? I'm a student right now and I'm stressing out. How can I be more mindful? I think some of the things we've learned through this conversation is that, you know, first step can be to really redefine what success means to you and to focus more on joy and growth within that to then take a step back in the moment when you are stressing out or feeling negative feelings and asking yourself, wait, how is this? moving towards that definition. And what can I do just right now, just in the present moment, I don't need to know where it's going um, to get closer to that definition. Um, So checking in with yourself in the present moment and asking yourself, why am I doing this? Um, I also think another one we talked about is to develop mentorships because oftentimes talking to a mentor can help you come back into the present moment and, and become more mindful. Um, and then another big one would be to focus on curiosity and exploration instead of focusing on checking stuff off a list that you think you're supposed to be doing. Um, of course, there are many, many um, mindfulness techniques like breathing, exercises, et cetera, that we didn't go into right now. Um, but I think as far as, you know, shifting a mindset towards a growth mindset, a lot of great things about that too, but um, we got to We got to wrap it up. Unfortunately, um, those are, those are some things that I would uh, recommend you also look into beyond this. Um, Christina, any, any last advice uh, for, for juniors, seniors who are feeling stressed out, hang in there. I, was like, I mean, this, I know that's such a, such a cliche thing to say, but I, I mean, I know this is just, you know, we're living in some really crazy times. And so I think if this topic was important before, it's even more important now, you know, just in terms of take self-care and, and all of that, I think, um, you know, that's, Josephine, you hit on a lot of the great things that that students and their parents should be thinking of during this time. But uh, I think you know there's there's going to be a lot of choices and paths and journeys and all these things going forward. Um, and just trust trust yourself. You know, trust your judgment and trust um, what you are doing. I mean, it's that's an easy thing to say and maybe not as easy to actually put into put into the into process, but um, but hang in there, you know, everyone, every teen across the world right now is going through a lot of similar things. And so there, maybe there's some comfort in that, just knowing that you're not alone in that. And so, yeah, that's, that's my advice. Yeah. And I would also say, you know, where you go is not who you'll become. Yes. 
And you are in a great educational system that allows you to switch majors and that allows you to explore, that allows you to have these mentorships. So, um, you know, if you're, even if you're uncomfortable with your journey, just know what you started doesn't need to be how you finish it. And you always have choice of exploration along the way, um, which is really exciting because it gives you a lot of opportunity. Okay, so thank you so much, Christina. Um, we're gonna sign off now. Um, and thank you for everyone who joined us today and who's listening to the podcast. Have a wonderful day. There you have it. For all you skeptics out there, I hope Christina and Josephine were able to make a convincing case for involving mindfulness in your college application journey. This conversation is a podcast exclusive, but a lot of our future episodes will be the listener-friendly versions of blog posts, videos, and live webinars. As we continue to produce episodes of this podcast, you can follow along on our website, www.strivetolearn.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes, and don't forget to subscribe. As we're launching this podcast, we'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments, or DM us on Instagram at Strive to Learn Tutoring. You can get the latest updates on the college admissions world and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strivetolearn.com. Thanks for sticking around, and I'll see you next time.